podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Sexual energy is often referred to as life force energy. Your relationship with your life force energy, the innate energy that resides inside you, says Dr. Martha Lee. You can be born with strong energy, nature, and or cultivate it, nurture. For example, exercise slash food. Regardless whether you have strong or weak energy, vitality, You can learn how to manage, master, and or channel it. And it can be channeled for greater fulfillment, success, mastery of self, for masterpieces, engineering, humanitarian work, etc. Valeria Tellis interviews Dr. Martha Lee on sexuality, spirituality, and more. According to Dr. Martha Lee, our life force energy is one of life's tragedies. We can learn slash master every other aspect of ourselves, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, etc. But when the energy we were born with continues to arise from within us, there is so much shame, blame, guilt, misinformation about it. Sexuality education is Dr. Martha Lee's passion because it seems as if it is the last frontier of stepping into an adult, and that knowledge hasn't been provided for most people. There is a need to recognize that positive sexuality, sexual expression, and confidence is not a Western thing. You can still have their cultural, religious, familial values yet have positive attitudes and expressions around sex and sexuality and still feel whole, complete, healthy, and happy. Surrounded by friends who were sexually inhibited and struck by dire lack of positive conversations around sex and sexuality in Singapore, Dr. Martha Tara Lee decided to take it upon herself to right this social injustice. Working with individuals and couples in private practice since 2009, Martha has a doctorate in human sexuality, master's in counseling in 2017, and many other qualifications. Often cited in the local media, Dr. Lee is the appointed sex expert for Men's Health Singapore and Men's Health Malaysia. She was recognized as one of the top inspiring women under 40 by Her World in July 2010 and one of the top 100 inspiring women by Cozy Cot in March 2011. She has published four books, Love, Sex and Everything in Between, Orgasmic Yoga, 
from princess to queen and uninhibited. Here is the interview with Martha Lee. In your own words, who is Dr. Martha Lee? I'm a sexuality and relationship counselor. I've been a sex educator for the last 11 years, based in Singapore. I'm Singaporean, Chinese in Singapore, grew up in Singapore. I I am Asian, <laughs> definitely. And being Asian, brought out in Asia, I feel very strongly about supporting people who are of Asian descent. And there are very few sex educators, sex counselors like myself who are trained as much as I have. And I'm very grateful to have this opportunity to serve them. <laughs> so this is how I would describe myself, I guess. That's wonderful. Thank you. So before we talk about relationship and sexual health, I have a few warm-up questions for you. So the first one is, what is another word for life? Well, <laughs> as a sex educator, I would have to say sex is life. We came from sex and a lot of people are still trying to understand sex and sexuality in my work. And I also took a long time to truly understand what people mean when they say our life force energy is our sexual energy. So our life force energy comes from our body. If we have a good body and we're well rested, we're healthy, this desire to express our sexuality comes from a place of wellness. My clients who are busy and tired, who are sick, they don't feel like having sex. And our vitality, our sexuality, our horniness comes from a place of overflowing of wellness. So if somebody were to ask me, uh, what is life? I would say life is sex. When you're healthy, you want to express yourself. And when, when I say you want to have sex, I don't mean that you necessarily have it. A lot of times we don't realize this, but we are actually channeling our sexual energy into our work, into our personal lives, into being creative in our creations. And our, our sexual energy can be channeled into so many things. And we don't really have the opportunity to learn it. And maybe we do it unconsciously. But definitely, to me, sex is life. That's wonderful. What a great answer. So sex meaning energy flow, the life force in us. That's so wonderful. So what is the meaning of freedom to you, Martha? To me, freedom is being able to live your life the way you want to live it, whether it's with your work, your personal life, uh, your social time. Freedom is the happiness that you have, knowing that you can, you can control, you can manage your time, your energy, your resources, your lifestyle. To me, that's freedom. What do you think is the world's greatest need? A lot of people say this, which is love is the, the biggest superpower that we have. At the end of everything, love is the most important thing. I feel that self-love is the most important thing. And as cliche as it sounds, uh, if we can't love ourselves, we are violent with ourselves in our thoughts and our behaviors. It's really not easy to be loving to other people. And a lot of these toxic behaviors that I see in my clients, it, it actually comes from a lot of 
childhood wounding that they've experienced and we need to take responsibility to heal ourselves and stop blaming blaming our government, our society, our religion, our culture. Just take responsibility to heal ourselves. When we can heal ourselves, when we love ourselves, truly we won't hurt ourselves, we won't abuse others. This is when love would be the, the best thing for everybody. I love the way you connect um, love to self-love. Because that's so true. Without self-love, it's really difficult, challenging to love others. I agree. Um, what, where, and who is God to you? Okay, because of my name, Martha, as you can probably guess, I I used to be a Christian. So I, I grew up in a, in a Buddhist family that didn't really practice. And for a long time, I questioned my existence and the meaning of life. Uh, so around my teenage years, I went to a Christian church and I felt the presence of God and I became a Christian for many years. I was baptized. I took on the name Martha. It wasn't until I, I had a personal crisis. I was going through my divorce and also I was really questioning how a loving God would allow people who didn't believe in the Christian God to go to hell. And I didn't think there was any real explanation of why miracles would show up in other religions. To say, oh, miracles that show up in other religions is the work of the evil, uh, the devil. Like, I just couldn't buy that. So it took me a long time to really grapple with that and find the answers from within myself. So this book, Conversations with God, this series actually really resonated with me through the series because these books are like a channel series from source. In the book, it said that uh, God is everywhere and God is in us. And there's no, really no religion per se. So I believe in the universal God. I believe God, like me, gets bored easily and God shows up in different ways, in different costumes, in different manners, to different people in different ways because... God is in us, so we can definitely find God anywhere and everywhere if we only look. So even though I'm closest to the Christian God, I, I believe God is everywhere. And therefore, I no longer feel the need to go to church and I no longer feel alone and lonely. If I just go within, God is there. Wonderful. What do you think is the purpose of your life? Okay, so it may sound a bit egoistical. I've been to channels and stuff and psychics and I have been told many, many times in my life that I've had many spiritual lives. I was a monk. I was a nun. I can meditate and I can achieve like transcendent states really easily. And when I meditate, I can go really deep, really quickly. And so it used to really freak me out because of all these very uh, celibate lives that I used to have. I, I think that this life I am meant to explore everything about sex. <laughs> and so I've always been curious about sex and I've made it the purpose of this life to help as many people as I can to find themselves, to go beyond fear. And even though I identify as a relationship and sexuality coach, I don't necessarily see my work as just that. I see myself as supporting people at this present moment to move past their their fears around sexuality. I see this as the last frontier of being an adult. 
we go through so many things in our lives to reach the point that we are at. And we get support and trainings and education. But when it comes to sex and sexuality, we you get very little support. And until someone really embraces their sexual self, I feel that they don't truly step into being an adult, like a really mature and bodied, confident, authentic adult. I see the work that I'm doing as a gateway to supporting them to get closer to being a, an, a fearless and fully realized person. So I see this life as being truly dedicated to supporting people and egoistical as it sounds. Uh, many times I have felt that I didn't need to be born. Many times I felt that I didn't need to be here, that I chose to come back to help people, a bit like Buddha. So it can sound a bit egoistical. I mean, I've gone through life lessons to get to this point of becoming more and more mature as a person myself. I've always felt, even when I was five, that I was a very old soul. And I guess there were there were inner wisdoms that I already possessed, but then there were human experiences that I needed to go through to really get the connection between the two so that I can better support people. Wow. What inspired you to become a relationship counselor and clinical sexologist, Martha? A part of it was the lack of sex education growing up. I had to find my own way. I am very grateful that I had some really positive sexual experiences, which allowed me to feel really positive about sex, even though I had very little education. And at some point, I looked around me and realized that all my friends were having sex problems. All of them either hated sex or didn't like sex or was afraid of sex or having painful sex. And I felt that there was something really wrong with our system. So when I went through my first divorce and asked myself again what I really wanted to do with my life, I realized I wanted to face my fears of putting myself on the line and in the limelight and to be judged and just help people one-to-one. Because of my background in communications, I was doing corporate communications for eight years. I was always behind the scenes, but I was very comfortable with getting the message out there. And so I decided to let my message be very personal, which is about the life that really matters, our personal lives, our personal relationships. End of the day, what is our legacy and what do we want to be remembered for? Most people will want to be remembered and, you know, care for the people around them. And human relations are very important. And I wanted to support people in this very precise area of their lives, which is their sexuality. For the longest time, I see myself as a person who was always interested in sex and sexuality. And I also had this other side of me, which is the spiritual side. And it really took me a long time to see the link between sex and spirituality. And then later as a practitioner, become more comfortable to talk about the spiritual side of who I am. Uh, most clinicians, most people who do therapy, they don't really do that because it could potentially drive away clients who need uh, this help the most. But I, after 10 years of practice, I really started to come out more and more as uh, not just a clinician, not just a counselor therapist, but also a human who is also a woman, who is also spiritual. 
Nowadays, I care less what people think about me and more about just showing up and as a multifaceted person. Because a lot of people who are spiritual, who are into Tantra, they won't have four degrees. They won't have a practice of 10 years. They, they, so a lot of times people in the Tantra world, spiritual world, they judge people with a lot of academic credentials and say that, oh, they're just in their head. And people who are just in their head, uh, who are clinicians, because they don't do touch in their work, oh, they're not embodied. <laughs> so I like, to, I like to say that I toggle between all these very clearly defined worlds and uh, embrace all of it because uh, I guess just like God, who is multifaceted, who shows up in many, many different colorful ways, so do I. <laughs> oh, wow. I love that. So it's a holistic approach. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And you're absolutely yeah. right. We are everything. So I guess my first question is very basic. You made a comment about people having conversations around sex and sexuality. It's challenging to do that. So my question is, why? I, I like to kind of link it to how as a society, depending on the culture, your nationality, your race, your religion, sex is a topic that is often avoided and considered dirty and not something you talk about. And this conditioning that starts when you are young continues uh, past your teenage years into adulthood. And it just kind of like gets locked into your body. And when you become conditioned to not talk about it, it's almost as if it's frozen. So when I was uh, starting to be sexual, I also had difficulties speaking up and talking about sex. And what I found was once I started to start to talk about it uh, with my partner, it became easier and easier. It was almost as if this stuckness around my throat started to come off and all these layers started coming off more and more. When I went to sex school, it also came off more and more. And it became easier and easier for me to talk about sex with a, a neutral face and to model for people that it is possible to talk about it. Once my clients start to process uh, this, they start talking about sex with me, they find that it is actually easy to also talk to their partners about it. But it does take time because there's this uh, conditioning, stuckness, frozenness around talking about this topic. Right. <laughs> yeah, the cure is to just start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and let it flow, right? That flow again. So talk to me a bit more about the benefits of relationship counseling. What is relationship counseling and what are the benefits? This is a great question because a lot of people, they feel that in relationship and sexuality counseling, it's a lot of it is just you talking and not learning anything. The contrary is it's, it's actually a lot of customized and individualized learning. So good practitioners don't just listen. They actually support you to process your emotions and to equip you to, with the skills and knowledge so that you can move on much quicker. Also, if they are trained and certified and have a lot of experience, they will be able to connect what the client is saying with the patterns that they have seen in their clients and be able to give you the information and the knowledge and the skills in the quickest possible amount of time so that you move through all that you need to learn 
to become more equipped so that you go on to live the life that you want. So essentially, it's really about supporting you to live the life that you choose to have. And uh, it is really for the people who are brave and it's, it's not easy work. And a lot of whether it works depends on the practitioner that you choose to go with. And, and so it's really important to go to the correct practitioner that feels good. You have a rapport. I found that if people don't really like you, they don't really trust you. It's very difficult to do any good work with them. So uh, as I became more experienced, I don't really push it. Sometimes I'm not for everybody. Some people find me too direct. Uh, even though I'm Asian, I'm quite a different Asian. <laughs> so some people find that I, I work very well for them and some people don't like me. And I just have to not take it personal. And of course, I'm also evolving myself. I do reflect on uh, what is working and what is not. And I would say the practitioner that started off 10 years ago, 11 years ago, is a very different person now. I have really learned to be uh, much more humble and compassionate and gentle with my clients because, because we all come from very diverse backgrounds. And I, I have to give them benefit of doubt. They come in not well. They are not well mentally, emotionally. They are not well. So I have to have this big capacity to hold them and, con and, and embrace them with, not physically, but embrace them with, with love and so that they feel safe to open up and explore what is it that they need to learn. That's really great. I love when you... Um the way you're speaking, it's really coming from that place of self-awareness and self-love, self self-knowledge. Beautiful. And then you also speak about compassion, right? Kindness. So my next question is about when we need counseling. How do we know when we need relationship counseling? What are the signs? If you feel that you have been stuck for six months or more, then it's time. I have clients who are stuck for years and years, five years, 10 years. There's so much baggage, so much of sweeping things under the carpet, so much of uh, passiveness or passive aggressiveness or aggressiveness. And it becomes a loop. If, they, if couples are finding that they are having the same fights and they feel miserable and they don't know what to do, this is a great time to, to seek help. And in my experience, the earlier people seek help, the more hope and positivity and willingness to try new things. If they have been stuck for a really long time and there's a lot of build up resentment and frustration, sometimes they don't have any bandwidth, any room for compassion and empathy. And working with them can be very challenging because Instead of working on the issue, we need to uh, work on supporting them to know how to uh, regulate their emotions and heal themselves first before talking about healing the relationship. So really, the earlier people seek help, really, it is better for us as practitioners. So we can see that I can work with somebody on their relationship when they are talking and crying and screaming. I, I cannot. So I have to support them to heal themselves and regulate their emotions first. But like, like a bandaid, you know, they start to feel a little bit better and then they, they, they go home and it doesn't solve anything because we didn't get to 
how to make the relationship better yet. So that is the reason why for some clients, they do need more sessions than they think they need. And it's not like we are trying to get more money out of them. It's genuinely based on what they are sharing with us. Sometimes they need more sessions, but they themselves can't see it. Yeah, right. That makes so much sense. So much sense because we have to acknowledge our own faults, what we are doing wrong ourselves in order to change yeah, any relationship. That makes so much sense. So my next question is about challenges. What are the biggest challenges in relationships, uh, according to your experience? Uh, it, was, it, it became very interesting for me when I first started my practice to keep hearing this again and again. And it still continues, which is people making their partner wrong because from their lenses, that is wrong. And it is wrong because this is not the way I was brought up. (laughs) So so they would say uh, nobody of the right mind would leave their clothes all over the house because that's wrong. And it's not wrong because your partner was probably brought up in a different household with different parents. And so to say, I'm right, you are wrong, but it's actually through your own uh, references. I think that is very, very common. It keeps repeating in my clients. So they need to understand there's no right and wrong and it's not about finding fault. It's not about black and white. A lot of it is gray. A lot of it is very subjectional and people need to learn that actually relationships is probably the biggest challenge to realizing that what you grew up with is not the same for others and to become much more adaptable and patient. So relationships are really like a ever-evolving, ongoing uh, workshop. <laughs> it's a workshop. Yeah. Everything your partner does that triggers you is teaching you something about yourself mm. that you could work on. Wow. Yeah. And rather than point fingers and say they're wrong and, and shame or blame them, is to look at yourself and to look at the lessons that are for you. And I find that couples who can do that will really be able to laugh at the situation and at themselves because there are some things that can't change about your partner and you just need to love them for who they are. That is so true. So, so true. Uh, What are the main sexual issues men have and why? And what are the main sexual issues women have and why? Wow, this is this is going to be long. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, oh no. <laughs> okay, so uh, I can just summarize it to for men the sexual challenges that they come to me uh, for uh, includes uh, premature ejaculation, erectile difficulties, delayed ejaculation, which is when they want to ejaculate but they can't. And, uh, sooner than they would like and uh, sex drive. So I call it the, the three E's, uh, erection, excitement and ejaculation. So these are the common issues men come to me for. And because I'm not a medical doctor, a lot of times I get referrals from doctors who have treated their patients, given them the medical examination. And said, there's nothing physically wrong with this person. It must be psychological. And so when I look at them, uh, talk to them, and I teach them skills, a lot of times 
they may have uh, psychological issues like anxiety and thinking too much and not being in their bodies, being in their head. But a lot of times, it actually is the lack of sexual skills. If you know what to do and you practice those techniques, then you will get better. And when you get better in your techniques and have more sexual confidence, then you don't need to think so much and then you don't get anxious. So I would say that in my 11 years of experience, 99% of my clients, once they acquire more skills, they stop being anxious and then they don't need to come and see me. But then there's that 1% of clients, once I teach them the skills, they still cannot overcome their sexual challenges because they really, they genuinely are obsessive thinkers and they need much more support with the thinking. And yet it's only the 1% of people who are that way. And so I feel the biggest reasons why people who have penises have uh, difficulties around their erection, ejaculation and arousal excitement has to do with the lack of sexual skills. So that is the main reason for me. And this is also one of the reasons why a lot of my clients, when they come and uh, seek support for me, they see results really quickly as opposed to going to uh, pure uh, talk therapists and just focus on talking about emotions it's going to be much slower progress. So that's that's men. And for women, the most common issue for me, at least for me working in, in Singapore, in Asia context, is the issue of vaginismus. So vaginismus is a condition that happens when there is fear of penetration, the fear of penetrative sex, penetration into the vagina. So because of the fear, their body tenses up, making penetration difficult or impossible. So their partner will feel like they're hitting against a wall. It's impossible. The vagina seems to disappear. And I and uh, alongside vaginismus, I work with a lot of people who uh, have unconsummated marriage because both they and their partner are virgins. They, don't, they just don't know how to have sex. Of course, uh, for people who are women, besides vaginismus, unconsummated marriage, it has to do with low sex drive because of exhaustion and uh, painful sex. So in the bigger scheme of things, uh, low sex drive and painful sex can be linked to a lack of sex information, like what lubricants to use and uh, working on their sexual attitudes. The one that I work with the most is vaginismus, as I mentioned, and um this is linked to the lack of sex education. So when I was uh, when I started my practice, I I was amazed. I was shocked. I was amazed that like ninety percent of my clients had vaginismus. So in the first two years of my practice, I already saw more than two hundred people with vaginismus or unconsummated marriage. So in two years, I saw two hundred cases, and my supervisor in the U.S. who has been in practice for 20 years at that point, uh, she only saw two cases of vaginismus. So her two cases and my 200 cases is very much, I believe, cultural and very much because of me being based in Asia. The biggest reason why people have these issues, at least for women that I work with, has to do with the lack of uh, sexual education and lack of modeling of really positive 
uh, sexuality. And, and because as a practitioner, I cannot share my client's stories. I have to respect their confidentiality. So over time, I started to talk more and more of my personal stories and my perspective of sexuality as a woman. And this is also the reason why I put out so many free videos on YouTube to model for women that here that is an Asian woman talking about sex powerfully and confidently and lovingly. And I wanted to heal all the women out there, especially Asians, that it is possible to be like me. And I have had clients who um, actually tell me that their healing came from um, seeing me embody positive sexuality and that gave them hope. And that is something that uh, I have to be it. I can't just tell. I have to be it so that I can kind of transmit this so that I can give the, give the download to my clients. <laughs> So true, Martha. So you're being that reference. Yeah, not just uh, not just educating them intellectually, you are embodying that, right? So we can feel, I'm sure they can feel that. And that's a wonderful work that you do. My other question has to do with marriage. Um, do people change in the way they connect sexually after marriage or in long-term relationships? And if it happens, why does it happen? Yeah, you may have uh, heard of this this term called honeymoon phase. And the honeymoon phase can last between six months to two years. And it is believed that there's this phase of the forming when you're you are having all these hormones being released that gives you this super high. Then there's a drop after two years. When there's this drop, the honeymoon phase is over. People do feel differently romantically and sexually about each other. And this is biological, I feel, because we cannot constantly be looking inwards into ourselves. There is a time to also look outwards. So once there's the forming of the couplehood, there comes a time for the norming, which is uh, let's, get to, let get, let's get used to the mundane of life. As we start to look outwards, uh, focusing on making money and fulfilling our other purposes of this life, making a career, people get busy and tired and distracted. So definitely the way you feel about a partner will change. I think what is unrealistic is a lot of people expect to be in the honeymoon phase and expect it to be the right thing. They actually think that the attraction, the initial attraction that they have for each other is supposed to last a lifetime without doing any work. So the stronger the attraction, the more likely the relationship is going to work when actually uh, a relationship takes not just commitment and closeness and intimacy with each other and being real and vulnerable, but then there's also the need to be very aware of taking time to infuse uh, excitement and passion into the relationship. Uh, so this actually uh, happens in a lot of relationships. People noticing that they were closer when they were dating because they were not seeing each other as much. And Esther Perel will talk about the, the forbidden and the, the lack of uh, excitement in long-term relationships and the need to be very aware of how to maybe play little games with each other so that you keep it 
spicy and uh, juicy. So yeah, uh, relationships relationships do change. However, the relationships we have with our parents change over time. The relationships we have with ourselves and uh, our relationship with our sexuality changes over time. So obviously, the relationship with our partners also changes over time. So those people who don't do well in long-term relationships because they they don't understand how long-term relationships work, and they have uh, and all they have having unrealistic expectations, uh, they're gonna find themselves disappointed. Great answer, though. I don't have anything to add. I love the what you said. It's actually natural and realistic to expect change, right? And also to do some work if you wanted to keep it exciting. And so thank you. Great, great answer. Talk to me about the relationship between sexuality, spiritual evolution, and emotional healing. <laughs> so for the longest time, even until I went to sex school and even after I graduated from sex school, I still didn't really understand the link between sex and spirit because it wasn't really emphasized because I am a sexual person and I'm fascinated about sex and sexuality. Went and got all this academic training, uh, became very comfortable about the topic of sex and uh, I still really didn't see the link with spirituality and with the universe and God until I went to uh, learn more about Tantra. And in Tantra, they see, they see sex as a pathway to transcend the physical into the realm of the spiritual. So there's this uh, bliss state that we get when we are experiencing an orgasm. They say this bliss state and this transcendence of our body is when body and spirit meat. So this is probably one of the reasons why people are so fascinated about sex and so fascinated about lasting longer and having more and bigger, stronger, longer orgasms. Our sexual energy, say you have an orgasm, you have aesthetic experiences, you move energy through your body. You can also move trauma out of your body. This is the one time, no matter what you're going through, you feel good. And you're not dependent on something external like uh, drugs, alcohol, smoking, drinking, chemicals. So it's a self-generating healing tool that actually we have within us. And when used consciously, it can be used to heal energetic blockages, emotional uh, trauma, and um, self-love, self-hate. It is actually inside us. It's very difficult to hate yourself when you're having an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. It's very difficult to hate, hate life when you're feeling good. I sometimes call our sexuality our superpower and it's, it's inside us and within us. So the link between sex, spirit and evolution is actually there for us. And maybe a lot of people, they don't have the languaging and the vocabulary to explain this, but it is innately within us and... Uh, so this is one of the reasons why people who are depressed or people who are in great pain, they they want to have sex, they want to masturbate because this is the one time they are not in pain, they are not thinking, they are feeling good. There's all this fear around, I'm addicted to it. The underlying issue is don't blame sex. It's The underlying issue is the self-love and self-hate and the depression and the rejection that we are feeling. People blame sex for the wrong reasons. It's very important to really see that our sexuality is part of our inner work. 
it's our way of trying to figure out ourselves and figure out life and the pain that we're going through. And everybody needs to be met with compassion and empathy. And if only we had more education about sex and more knowledge, we would be less afraid of it and be less judgmental of other people and their sexual behaviors. As long as they're happy, as long as they're not hurting anyone, by all means, this is something that they should give themselves permission to feel good about. And speaking of um, unhealthy, healthy behaviors uh, towards sex, what is your opinion on pornography? Besides sex addiction, there's also a lot of fear around porn addiction. There's all this literature and research about the harmful effects of porn, the harmful effects of porn for people who are young, who are, say, children or teenagers when their, their, their brains are still developing and how porn can shape their behaviors uh, and attitudes towards uh, gender and sexuality and sexual preferences. I feel that, again, porn very much lies in the shadow side of sex, which is the hidden and the unspoken and the dark. And it is true, it's very easy to become desensitized very quickly to one genre of porn and to escalate very quickly to different kinds of porn because this is also a journey of exploration. So people who might watch uh, sex between uh, two people may find themselves very quickly wanting to watch uh, sex with more people, group sex and rough sex and uh, kinkier kind of sexuality like peace play or a shit play. <laughs> There's really nothing wrong in it uh, per se because we are exploring and we are learning about the whole spectrum of it. There is the unconscious exploration, and then there's the consciousness around how is this serving me over long term. And a lot of people that I know of, because they started off exploring their sexuality with porn, they are afraid of being dependent on it, when in reality, it's not that they're dependent per se, it's that they don't know what else. Because what else is not spoken and what else is not available. And when I work with clients who want to learn to have better confidence with their erection and ejaculation, uh, especially men per se, I'm speaking about men specifically, they, they get scared because they don't know what else is there besides porn. They, they hear off and they themselves are worried about being dependent on porn, but actually they nobody actually told them what else they could do besides watching porn. So I had to educate them very simply about the differences between visual, visual stimulation, porn, uh, visual, uh, versus mental stimulation, say fantasy, which makes them work harder. So why would, why would people want to work harder if porn works? So the difference between visual, visual stimulation, mental stimulation, and physical stimulation. So mental stimulation will cause them to work harder but it would mean that they learn how to be more creative and uh, more in their body and less into external stimulation such as porn, basically working harder and becoming less dependent and less afraid of this need to have porn to support them because they don't really know about themselves. And physical stimulation, we have a good body when we are aroused and we're horny, uh, we can orgasm without porn, without fantasy. So it's about teaching my clients to be more mindful of what else is out there and to uh, help them to 
uh, change their masturbation patterns because a pattern is a pattern and a pattern can be changed. Most people, I would say, are not addicted per se. Most people with some support, they can actually uh, change their patterns. I think it's, it's um, there are people who are just born, born with obsessive tendencies. That 1% of client that I was talking about who uh, no matter what I do, I teach them, support them they actually need much, much more psychological support. And so there will always be that 1% of people who are the exception. Uh, Some therapists will argue it's not 1%, it's 10%, it's 20%. Um, But the reality is actually a small percentage. And yet we keep getting so fixated about porn addiction and sex addiction and, you know, because we... We, we, we don't know and we are scared. Yeah, that's really what it is, isn't it? Like the unknown. So that's when you come in, sex education. That's the answer. I agree. So I guess my last question is about, has to do with pornography again. Does it um, get in the way in relationships when a man or the woman, they are maybe not addicted, but they have this habit of using pornography as a stimulation? Would that be a problem, become a problem? I have clients who ask me a, a different but similar question. And the question is, is there a problem if we don't have sex? And very quickly when I started my training, it was really drummed into us that don't make something into a problem when it's not a problem for them. Usually a so-called problem exists, a problem will surface if one person in the relationship is not happy. So it's not for me as an outsider to go in and tell a couple, you're not having sex, you have a problem. If they don't think that it's a problem, then it's not a problem. That's interesting. So it's not for me to go in and make a judgment about other people's lives and how they want to conduct their lives. So similarly, if a couple feels that they like uh, masturbating to porn or they like having sex to porn every single time, then it's not a problem because if it's not a problem for them, it's not a problem. It only becomes a problem and it usually is a problem uh, when one person is not okay with having sex all the time to porn. Wow, that makes sense. This is when they are not happy, they are distressed uh, and then they seek help. So the people who seek help are not people who are happy. The people who seek help are people who are not happy. So true. Wow, Martha. What an interesting perspective. Um, I have here some of my final questions for you unrelated to the subject. Would you like to add anything that I didn't cover with my questions? Yeah, I guess through this interview, I was just emphasizing on the importance of taking self-ownership and self-healing, stepping into being an adult and hope I, I debunk some myths around uh, sex, uh, including uh, sex addiction, including porn. Uh, including sexual beliefs and attitudes. I I guess I don't really have anything I'd like to add except just to encourage people to not be afraid and to be curious, to ask questions, Uh, even things that they they think that they are totally never ever want to learn about because this is just totally horrible. Even if they have a little bit more understanding about a topic that uh, of a sexual behavior, for instance, that they will never partake of, whether it is orgy or whether it's uh, playing with shit during sex or whether it's anal sex. Once we start to have more understanding of the forbidden and the taboo and the disgusting, we start to realize a lot of it is, is just fear. And people who don't have fears around all these topics will become free. So the truth will set you free. 
And I do encourage my clients to, uh, for instance, go to my YouTube and just watch anything that I put out that they are even remotely interested in. And uh, lo and behold, uh, some of my clients, they feel that they received a lot of sexual healing just by having more information and knowledge and they themselves become more open in their sexual attitude organically. I love that. Becoming more open and then that's being being open to the unknown, which will uh, help with the fear because that has judgment has to do with fear. So true. So let me ask you my final questions. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? I, I mean, I help people for a living. I feel that my purpose in this life is to help people for a living. I guess the hardest thing to to realize is I'm not going to get thanked for what I do. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, because most people are busy and they're really into themselves. And uh, a lot of clients, they don't realize the amount of, of work that it takes for us to be this level of self-awareness and to become the practitioner that we are, that we have also gone through our own pains to be where we are at. And a lot of the work that we do actually comes from the heart. And no matter what we are paid, it is more than a transaction. And so one of the hardest lessons for me to really uh, accept is I'm not going to be uh, celebrated or applauded or appreciated the way I feel I deserve. It was a hard lesson because I started to become really jaded because I pour out my guts to do my best in my work. And what do I get in return? Sure, I, I, I get paid, but this is very little compared to the pre and the post work that I do energetically, spiritually. So I've had to really accept that I will get very little thanks and I need to still love anyway. And the only way I can keep doing the work that I do is to put the love that I feel that I deserve into myself. I have to give it to myself and I have to do that so that I don't become skeptical and jaded and bitter and off balance. And on the days that I'm off balance, I do act out like a spoiled brat. I do shout and scream. I do snap. I'm only human. And it is when I, I don't take care of myself that this happens. And so the hardest lesson for me to learn is, again, just like in relationships, nobody is going to love you if you don't love yourself first. If your partner is off center, don't blame your partner. Be in center and it's your job to be in center. And so it was a it was a hard lesson because I didn't see it as also an extension of how it is with my work. How great. Yeah, that is so true. <laughs> I've been saying that throughout the conversation because yeah, you have a lot of wisdom. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I have a few more questions. If you know you would die soon in a sense of losing the body, would you change anything about your life? Do anything differently? No, I am so ready to die. Even, even with all this virus, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm so ready to die. I'm so happy that I am in this place of being so ready to die because I know of people who are afraid to die because they haven't done what they feel they want to do or they feel that they haven't lived their lives fully. For me, the day I started my practice was the day I was ready to die because I already am helping people and I know that I'm meant to help people. And as long as I'm helping people, I'm so ready to go. Um, everything else is just a matter of extent, how many people I get to help. Everything else I feel is ego. 
sure I can help more people in a bigger platform, speak to more people, do more podcasts, more conferences, more tele-summits, speak internationally, whatever. But I need to be okay with helping that one person in front of me. So yeah, I'm so ready to die. And I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm I'm in this frame of, uh, yeah. Yeah, how wonderful. Do you believe in life after death? Yeah, I do. I, I believe in in reincarnations because I have past lives and I believe that uh, I chose to come back again and again like Jesus or like Buddha uh, or like Guan Yin <laughs> um, because we are all connected. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today, Martha? We are more powerful than we think. One person can make a difference to the world. If not the world, then your community, your village, your friends, your family. We all have so much power within ourselves. We can change the world if we change ourselves. So yeah, we are more powerful than we realize. Uh, the second thing is love. Love is everything. Love is love is love transcends anything. Love is universal. End of the day, we just keep coming back to love. Um, that's the second thing. The third thing is the best way to love is to serve. Wow. It has been a meaningful, beautiful, genuine conversation. Thank you so much for your presence. Yeah. And thank you so much for your the work that you do because I, I did podcasts before. I, did, I had a podcast for three years where I was hosting it. It's a lot of work. I love how, you know, you have of integrity and you hold space for others. It's not easy. Yeah, thank you. It's fun though. <laughs> Spiritual, meaningful, fun. I love, I love this connection that I can make with people. It's incredible. So thank you for you too. So where can we find information about you, your work, products, services, and future projects? So my website is Eros Coaching. That's E-R-O-S coaching.com. People can find out about my services, my books, my blogs, my videos through my website. I have four books and I'm working on the fifth. And I love books. I am a bookworm. Books is my favorite medium. And then I have like at the moment six, uh, close to 800 videos on YouTube. So yeah, a lot of the work that I, I do is free. And yeah, I encourage people to check out my work. Thank you so much again, Martha. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Martha Lee, please visit her website, eroscoaching.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.